Hello, my friend, and welcome to this podcast through a trauma-informed lens, Soma, Psyche, and Soul. My name is Aneta Itchak, and I'm your host here. This podcast is for you if you're a heart-centered practitioner who works or wants to work with clients in a more trauma-informed and somatic way. You might be a coach, a yoga teacher or therapist, a healer, holistic wellness practitioner or a body worker. I welcome you here. In this podcast, we are going to explore how we can connect with and support others from a more compassionate and embodied space and in a way that includes the wholeness of our and our clients' felt experience, in a way that includes our soma, psyche, and soul. I will be sharing with you somatic practices and tools that I teach in our trauma-informed somatic teacher and coach training certifications. And I will be speaking with other practitioners who, like me, are on a mission to create safer spaces and make a real positive impact within their communities and the world. I hope you will join me in this conversation and welcome again. So welcome everyone to another conversation with a lovely practitioner. And today I have a pleasure of speaking with Jane Dancy, who is an embodiment coach, somatic yoga teacher, uh, among many different uh, roles and, and modalities that she's trained in. So thank you, thank you, Jane, and welcome to this podcast. Thank you, Anita, for inviting me. Thank you lovely, so to, yeah, lovely to connect with you in here. And so I know a little bit about you, Jane. Just a little tiny bit. And we had the conversations before and it's, it, you know, you've done a lot of different trainings. Um, there are a lot of different modalities that you studied. And I know that you've been a teacher, you know, teaching yoga for over 20 years and uh, alongside of other things and working in biopsychosocial approach. So I think it would be really great to hear a little bit more about your journey. Um, from when you started, you know, when you started training and maybe working in this way and, and your own practice as well. And then uh, to this point in time, I think I'd, I think it would be really interesting to kind of get a little bit more understanding around that. Right. Okay. Well, um, that was about coming up to 20 years ago. Um, I started, um, studying yoga and my my introduction to yoga um came about going to just a normal gym and discovering that exercise was actually felt really good i previous to that i had avoided exercise like the plague i was always the one um not going to uh, pde at school um and and I, I, I joined a local gym and I started doing step classes. Uh, I, I didn't want anyone to know that I was doing it. I was really mortified by the thought of anyone seeing me do it. But, but you know, I started doing this movement and it felt really, really good. Um, and at that gym, it was a, a little local gym in Covent Garden um, in London. And it was the, um, the community gym. And they, um, someone started doing yoga classes there and there was something about it, uh, that really instantly felt right for me. 
um, and I started becoming quite curious about it. And following on from that, I had a number of health crises. Um, I had an ectopic pregnancy, and it was very, uh, it's a very traumatic time. And um, like so often that happens with uh, a crisis, it um, it created a lot of change. It was my gateway to a lot of change. So I gave up my career in TV production. I moved out of London. I moved to the Sussex coast and um, started doing yoga a lot more. And and quite following from that, I started, um, I found a British wheel of yoga training course and um, started started from there. And around that time, I also had my, my daughter um, who's now coming up to 18. And so that was my journey in. And I, all the way back, when I was um, going to yoga classes in Hastings, where I was, it was um, Scarabelli yoga. So I was, I was, I'm very grateful for that introduction um, into yoga as a, a very gentle, very explorative type of movement. And then since then, I've explored all sorts of different types of yoga and and I've come all the way back actually back to that type like Scarabelli and but also via a lot of other systematic practices and embodiment and discovering things like Feldenkrais and thinking oh my god this is amazing and and um yeah so I've always been very curious uh so the whatever I'm doing I I start looking around it and underneath it and around the back of it and I'm just quite a curious person so lots of tangents I've gone on to mm, I love that I love that it's um it's amazing isn't it this journey that you just shared you know starting from one point for you it was the Scaravelli yoga and then learning lots of different stuff and then coming back almost to the beginning but obviously being completely different with lots of different insights and knowledge. And there is something that, you know, when we talked last time, we were um, talking a little bit about disembodied yoga. And the interesting thing in here is yesterday in one of the yoga teacher groups uh, on social media, somebody was, somebody uh, created this post about uh, somatic and the use of somatic and somatic yoga and that it's another hype word word and uh, asking question how do people understand it and I I thought this is such an amazing amazing question because we do rather than shy away from it we need to have those conversations and we do need to really dwell deeper into you know the practices that we are doing and our understanding what we um, what we understand by the words like embodiment or somatic um, and our approaches to yoga and, you know, whether they, because yoga is a somatic practice. It's a body-focused practice. Every yoga is a somatic practice from that perspective, from that meaning. But not all of yoga that we practice leads to more embodiment and more connection um, or maybe even, you know, nervous system regulation and feeling more at ease within who you are and how you are and within your practice and your life. And so, you know, I know that you, one of the things that we were talking about is that you teach somatic yoga. 
And I would love to just kind of hear from you, you know, what's, what's all of that about for maybe for people who are still questioning, like what is, what is somatic yoga? What is somatics? Well, it's such a, such a, uh, an interesting question. Um, because we all, you know, I'm really interested in language and I'm interested in how language lands somatically, meaning how it lands in, in one's body and how one translates that, um, the word somatic and in embodiment is thrown about a lot. They're quite key words right now. Um, it used to be that, that they, they were definitely not. Um, and there, there's, there's, a there is quite also a lot of um, confusion around them um, because they're not they're not words that we might be used to using. And I, I do think that everyone has their own definition of it in some ways. Um, and you know, I could Google if I googled the definition of somatic or embodiment, I would come up with many different versions of it. Um, so I, I use somatic, I, my meaning of somatic yoga is that, um, it is, there are, it, it's, there are a big, the, a big chunk of the practice is allowing the body to lead. So if we think of like freedom and form, form-based yoga, like maybe Iyengar, you know, put your right foot here. Um, it's precise. It's about learning a technique and it's quite, it's pretty cognitive, um, thinking a lot, uh, freedom based is more, if I'm on the ground, I'm curious to where my body wants to go first. And that, and that is a that can be a really challenging way to practice for a lot of people. And it was, it was for me. So, um, after years and years of doing, um, you know, book standard British wheel of yoga, Anusara, what have you kind of tight, I, my practice was pretty disembodied. Um, I, my teacher would tell me what to do and then I would tell my my students what to do. And that was the right way because they had told me and they were right because they were the, the it was a hierarchy. It's pretty patriarchal. Mm. Um, so they, for me, it came to a point where I started, um, it's like I had an inner rebellion to all of that, like a very much a body rebellion. And also like, I was thinking, hang on a minute, that's not right. Get that. That didn't feel right because alongside I was um, studying psychotherapy and embodiment, and all of all of that was being very challenged by by those teachings. So going back to somatic yoga, as I might go off on a tangent because it's you know it's such a big subject. Um, all is welcome here. Yeah. So if I, if I having a Giving, giving oneself time and um, space in which to explore the, the movement, the intuitive movement of, of the body. And I mean, when I, when I call it somatic yoga, I'm pulling in 
various various pieces to it. Um, and I'm 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 really influenced by body mind centering, um, by authentic movement, by um, Feldenkrais and Alexandra technique, and all sorts of other. Somat, what that what would be known as somatic movement, almost more of a therapeutic application of it, and it's and it's constantly morphing and becoming something else. It's not it's not static. I love that. Yeah, completely, completely. And and this is what I love about somatic practices. You know, somatic movement. It's it because it's so coming from within because it's so intuitive, because it's about meeting yourself where you are at, you know, within your needs or within your wants and then following it, it's, it's, there is no other way but for it to keep changing mm. and it uh, keep transforming. And I think one of the things that you said, and I can relate so much to, uh, it's this, that so many, you know, when I think about what's the biggest challenge for yoga students to move from being a student practicing in the class to then practicing at home, is this the way that most of us been taught about following the teacher, the teacher standing at the front of the class, showing how the how the um, posture should look, uh, show you know giving us verbal cues, which then takes us away from actually tuning into the body. And understanding, well, you know, how can I do this pose in a way that is right for me? Or maybe not even do that pose. Maybe, you know, having that permission of um, not just saying this is not the right pose for me as I am feeling today. And one of the things that, you know, I... I always notice is this, you know, sometimes... People can say, teachers or practitioners can say all the right things, like trust your body or, you know, follow, follow your, your inner rhythm. And, but they never really explain what it means. They don't teach their students what it means. And also the other thing is about, you know, you don't have, you know, here are a couple of versions. This is less intense. That is more intense. And then showing the most intense one always you know, as advanced pose. And there is this real disconnection between what's being said, listen to your body, and then this is the right way of mm. doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's all very top down. Yeah. Yeah. And um it's very linear. Um and there is so much potential for a complete bypass of the bodily based intelligence. Um and, you know, but going back to the somatic yoga, but was, I just wanted also to bring into it that there, there are the other practices like Feldenkrais and, and also things like Hannah somatics, which are not, uh, there, there is kind of a, a freedom element to it, but there's also quite a lot of form. They're form-based exercises but they're very, very slow, very repetitive. And for a, uh, a yoga practitioner who's used to, you know, sun salutations and this and that, and it might seem very um, odd and um, might question, why am I doing this? It's, it's slow, it's repetitive. You know, like I'm thinking like Hannah Somatics, it's, 
it's um but it's it's a sort of a it's kind of dropping down beneath just the physical layer of the body it's it's working on nervous system and neurological aspects um fascia yeah 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 it's it's a I would I would say it's a much more intelligent way of working with the body, and what what the danger of what we have right now is that because um, somatic and embodiment have become buzzwords, what I see is a lot of pro- yoga practitioners um, just putting those words on a normal practice. So they they might say it's somatic yoga, but it's it's yoga with with it, like what you said. Annette, about those those phrases that get thrown about. Follow your rhythm. Do what feels right for you. You know, I, if I say do what feels right for you, I if I'm not sure about who I'm teaching and where they are with it, I will put a caveat and say, and that might that might be really challenging, or you might find yourself thinking, well, I don't know what to do. There might be a complete disconnection. So there's. There's steps to to that. Just follow whatever you want to do, or yeah. you know those phrases like "open up your heart." <laughs> I love those. What? <laughs> there are some really funny things that yeah. that teachers say. Like. Energy. <laughs> yes, I mean I, I I love it, and maybe because English is not my first language, sometimes I'm like. What 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 yeah. does that mean exactly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, when I, when I started studying um, embodiment with uh, Mark Walsh, he was um, he was very strict on the language that we would use, and uh, I I really appreciate that now. Like we 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 would really get told off if we use the word energy. Without a specific, tangible meaning of what that meant in that specific moment, yeah. because there are these words that that land differently with everyone, and for a lot of people, it just won't land, and then that creates division. Yeah. Yes, I think it's there are so many words that we use. You know, language is challenging in itself because we think that we use the same words and we mean, you know, we understand it in the same way. Uh, but they they can be very, very challenging, especially if somebody's new to the practice. I mean, I loved Mark um clarity around language and he's very non non nonsense. <laughs> you know, there is in this like he's the total opposite of this kind of love and light um language that that um you know sometimes is being used within the community yeah and i i I think that's one of the things you know when it comes down to accessibility and working with trauma it's this kind of explanation of what do you mean uh because if that's missing that psychoeducational part this kind of real tangible way of understanding that somebody can relate to because if we don't do it in that way it adds to that level of distress or level of disconnection that somebody is already experiencing um and you know over the last three years and everything that is happening in the world many of us have got this heightened level of stress and anxiety often just underneath the surface i, I mean i can speak for myself you know that i am 
I feel it just underneath the surface. It's always present. It's always there. Sometimes it's more conscious and I think about it. And most of the time it's just, just that layer of anxiety um, that I'm aware of within my physiology. Um, and so all of those practices, you know, are so powerful that can really, really help us in navigate through those challenging times but they can, they are only useful really useful if they are shared or practiced in a in a certain kind of way and one of those things you know it's like we mentioned the biopsychosocial approach uh, and i i'd love you to say a few words about that i mean i was i was trained in that when i was working in social care so but i think from that perspective of the work that you do it would be really great to hear um, how do you bring that into your work? Thank you, Glenn. Um, so I, I, I think I had started doing it through studying embodiment and psychotherapy around the same time. So I was very um, interested in um, how um, the psychological layer was interacting with the physical layer and um, through embodiment. Um, understanding like my my home environment was um, influenced my yeah, my embodiment my 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 heritage my culture uh, my community all these different layers of uh, that influence one's embodiment um, and I think it was I'm. I I went through a phase of um, studying with Peter Blackaby, a yoga teacher, and um, I absolutely love his his work. And he would talk a lot about pain and how it, um, how people experienced it. And he and he used that phrase um, biopsychosocial. And it was just a um, a light bulb moment of, 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 of it wasn't a phrase that I'd never heard because I didn't come from that background where it's used all the time and it was just I oh yeah that that makes so much sense the the biopsychosocial and then and then I would think yes and the spiritual yes and the, <laughs> and the this and the that and and how how they all swim through and weave through each other and 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 really cannot be separated and so when we look through that lens we have more of an understanding and and actually a capacity to cultivate a little bit more empathy about ourselves and about others of like I get that I I can see where that's coming through more understanding more a bit more clarity on it yeah I love that I love that. And, and I so resonate with what you just said. You know, you cannot separate those different things. I know in our Western society, we like to, because we live within the Cartesian approach, you know, I think therefore I am and the power of the mind and the mind likes things in separate boxes and the labels. And, and so a lot of, you know, the systems within we live in are separate. Like there is mental health and physical health and you know this is spirituality this is the, all of that but we know from our experience that we it's impossible to separate it anybody who lives with pain will tell you very clearly how it impacts 
uh, their mental health and their relationships and the rest of their life and vice versa. And I Mm -hmm. think it's, you know, what I hear, what comes up for me when I hear you say that, it's that it's much more balanced and holistic approach and much more feminine, Mm. isn't it? It's like as women, we we tend to more embrace um, our experience and other people's experience in a much more this kind of whole system understanding and relating. And I know that you do a lot of work with women. I know that we talked about perimenopause yoga and the work, yeah, the work that you do w- with women around coaching and embodiment. And and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Mm. Um. Yeah, and I think I I think my work with women and exploring the feminine has um, originates from my own exploration of it. Um, I as a um, youngster, I was um, a tomboy. So um, for anyone who doesn't know what tomboy is, not used that much these days. But I I very much um, wanted to be um, like a boy. Um, I really wanted my name to be something like Georgina, so I could shorten it to George. Um, I had an older brother, so there was that kind of dynamic. Um, but I, I, for a long time, I wanted to wear boys' clothes, and and so when I when I kind of came out of that and started ex- exploring more a sort of feminine aspects, there was quite a a difficulty. Um, and I think like the word woman, I would, I would kind of shy away from. Um, and, and it's only in my sort of my forties and then coming into my fifties that I've really started to embrace it and explore it. And also because I've got a daughter and I've witnessed her go through menarche, through puberty, um, and come coming into young womanhood and being very interested in rites of passage in a way of like, realizing what how what i would have liked at that age of going through puberty and what how i could potentially offer it to her and for a while i ran um girls groups and things like that and and it's kind of cascaded from from that um exploring all these these um strands to it and and you know i was thinking earlier when we were talking about biopsychosocial i was thinking yeah and political Yes, musical and um, you know, sexism, gender, misogyny, all of those aspects that that um, swim around us, um, and so it has gone from there. And I've really, um, I love um, the the offer of women's circles. I love to sit in circle, and I really. Um, it's one of the um something that i i I love to facilitate myself um I think it's so potent and so so valuable um to offer that in in community um really really needed and yeah, and just exploring it as a sort of the almost like a, an art form of like exploring the feminine of what what does that mean and how does that translate and and as I go through it, and as I'm getting older myself, I'm now 54, and I'm I'm 
I feel much more standing in my own power and I feel um, more vocal about what I what I want to what what I want to call out and more political um, and what what happens around me is um, is very much uh, very much influences what what I what I do and and I, I never want to separate for me I can't separate um, my embodiment from from what is going on in the world it's it's for, for me it's it's interlinked very much so yeah I can so relate to what you just said it's it's it cannot be any other way the more you are connected the more you are embodied the more you understand what's going on for you the more you resonate with what's going on with others and around the world and I it almost like you know one I always think because I just turned 50 <laughs> this year and I I just thought one of the gifts of, you know, coming to 50 and going through perimenopause and then going into menopause is this, this gift of not giving a, <laughs> you know, not worrying so much about what other people will say and really understanding that there isn't that much time. Like if you're going to speak up, you've got to speak up now. If you're going to name something, you can't waste your time anymore. There isn't like, you know, when you are in your 20s and you might think, oh, yeah, focus on that later. I've got lots of time. One of the gifts of getting older is just this understanding of, well, time is limited. And I, you know, I need to walk my talk. I need to speak up. I need to say something. And as women, you know, women's roles within our society, um, the history of women standing for women's rights in one of the modules of, of the training that I run for female practitioners, you know, we, we look at the history of circles. We look at how, um, you know, how women used to um, protest and show up and um, for for women's rights and that actually women being able to ha to own a home or own the property or have a job or you know have their own money it hasn't been that long within the history <laughs> uh, of of our society so all of this is ongoing so no wonder that it becomes political no wonder that you know we we as women take those that we find our voices to actually speak up for what's important. Mm. And, and this is why, and I'm sure you agree with that, this is why embodiment is so important. It's not just for us, for, you know, oh, it's nice, I'm going to feel at ease, I'm going to feel less depressed or anxious, but actually it is for everybody. It is for our children, it is for our loved ones, it is for our communities, for the world really so the more we become embodied the more we can the more the more we relate to others in a different way the different choices we make that you know that kind of ripple effect or dandelion effect is always happening so i i wondered if i could ask have you seen any changes within um, 
the women's embodiment over the last few years? Is there anything that kind of stood out for you? In the, in that I see happening around me, um, oh, there's what you just said, like brought up so much for me. Um, I think I see a lot of um, offerings with feminine embodiment. Um, I see that that's, that's really rising up, um, which is good. I don't know what they're like. I don't know what the content is like. Um, one th when I teach, at the end, I, I normally do a checking in and a checking out. And, I, and I, when I say, how are you doing? I, um, as sometimes, sometimes when, when appropriate, I say, you know, you might not feel better. You might not feel okay. You might feel worse. And that's okay because when we work from a somatic embodied perspective, we're revealing. We're revealing and it's not always pretty. Um, and that is okay. I think the, there is that idea that we have to, you know, we come to yoga and we feel great afterwards, um, which doesn't do these deep, profound practices the justice that, um, that what they can do. And I, I shy away from the word love and light. And they're also um, the, the word light worker. You know, I've had people say, you're a light worker. And I, I, it doesn't sit with me. I think, no, I, I work with light. I work with the light and I also work with the dark. I, w I work with um, the shadow. And um, I think there is a, such a bypass of the shadow. So what I'm what I'm hoping is that with all the the embodiment, the feminine embodiment work that's coming out, I hope that they are really holding the shadow there because that's really really essential and very much so at this time where we find ourselves politically, from an ecological perspective, uh, we've got to look at the shadow. I I know that there's. I'm at this point in my in my life and my work where I'm not here to be nice and to 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 make myself popular. And I'll probably you know then I'm never gonna I'm I'm not my posts aren't to create lots of followers and for people to like me. I I want to come from my heart and what feels right, and, and and that might not land well with 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 some people, and that's. That's okay, and I think these the these authentic voices are really needed. And when I wish for more authentic voices, I want to hear authentic voices that maybe I don't agree with, and that's okay. You know, and being able to hold that and not having to agree with everything, and everything's got to be nice. And in my group, other worries they. Like other than, and I push them away. But to be able to hold that tension of disagreement and um, just having different thought processes. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that. I love what you just said. I'm not yet to be liked or, you know, wanting to have lots of followers. And I always think it's like, what for? What do you want all of those followers for? Like, you know, that just really triggered this, this thought. I was sharing that the other day with some of the groups that I hold. It's like, 
I, I received this message saying, to, saying we're going to send you 100 uh, great leads a month. And I was like, oh, what the hell am I going to do with them? It's like, I don't want 100 leads. I haven't got time and I haven't got motivation. I want three or five women that I could connect with. That's more valuable than actually, you know, having followers or there is so much stuff out there, especially within the sphere of social media that is being pumped up and hyped up and is being shown as a, um, something to aspire to. And, you know, uh, and, and one of the things that is so interesting is this difference. And I don't know whether you've seen it for yourself the difference between the yoga community and the coaching community and how differently within those two communities, for example, the attitude to money or the attitude to um, business, like running a sustainable business, because if you are self-employed, you effectively are, you know, a business owner, really. And it's really quite interesting looking through those two different lenses and how they approach, you know, showing up, running the business, engaging with others, what are the kind of priorities. And, and obviously I'm talking about extremes. There is a middle ground here that we can kind of live, uh, you know, follow and uh, find for ourselves. But I don't know whether, whether you can relate, whether you've seen yeah. stuff like that happening. Um, well, I, I think in the... Yeah, in the yoga world, there's quite a lot of bypassing around talking openly about money, um, about uh, receiving money. Um, it's it's a bit it's clandestine. It's a bit under the under the surface. Um, uh, you know, people. And I'm yeah, I've I've been through this myself, and it's still something that I work with, like my approach to money and being um, being centered and comfortable when someone says what's your rate how much do you charge um and when someone doesn't pay me saying can i can you pay me please and being 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 open and direct and it being okay with me and and not thinking i'm going to offend someone like this there's so much around money um and and also there's this great belief that it's a bit dirty to talk about money because we're doing a spiritual um, practice. Maybe there's there's so much there. And then you there are what I notice is there's so many um, business coaching courses very much tailored towards women, uh, whether they're coaching or yoga. They're kind of crossover but they're big big bucks and they're like you'll get this and you'll get that and and it's i can almost feel there's part of me going maybe i should be doing that and then and then realizing that's the old paradigm that's patriarchy that's too much too soon too fast what's that that's the definition of true now yeah what about slow slow marketing or slow Slow business. Yeah, um, that's exactly what I'm all about, Jake. <laughs> Slow marketing, nervous system friendly. So much of it out there is just so hyped up and manic and unsustainable. And um, 
scarcity based and ah, lots of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and I yeah. absolutely and I, I I have a big scarcity thing that has been running through my life decades and I'm I'm really aware of it and I I work with it and I work with it and I work with it and um and so I yeah I've really I have really explored this um and I I I have a deep 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 need to be honest you know like t- today I was um due to run a winter solstice event online and I've cancelled it because I had I didn't have enough people for call. And and that's that's how it is and it's okay. Yeah. Um I think what I see in out there is that a lot of people find that's really a hard thing to to be with or to if they say that out loud, they look they will be perceived as a failure. Um and and that in itself, if I am pretending to be something that I am not, then that takes a that takes a bit of a battering on my nervous system, yeah. and I'm all for the opposite, like you know, comfort and being okay with being okay with when things don't go quite to plan. Yeah, and they don't go to plan so often, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like if you've been alive for 50 years or plus, you know that, you know, often things don't go according to plan and that's okay. That's part of the learning and part of growing and part of healing. But this is so important and I wanted to mention it because we, if we are talking about embodiment, that's part of our embodiment. You know, it's like. Like yourself, I've been exploring stuff around money and it, this real shift about understanding that this is just a resource. And it can be such a great resource, you know, if we have it as a resource and then we can use it for so many great things. And there is something in me that as a woman who's 50 years old and proudly <laughs> that rebels against just some people, usually men, who don't have very clear ethical behaviors holding on to that very valuable resource that then could be used in other ways. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, it's, it's, but it's a challenge, isn't it, to find this middle ground in between not grasping too much and not kind of feeling very powerless around it and confused and overwhelmed. But really find your past in a way that really feels authentic and feels like you're doing things in integrity and feeling like you're supported and you're supporting others and with all the different roles that we play. And it, it's just such a complex, big thing being a woman in today's society. It's, yeah. And I, I, you know, when, when I, I, Instantly know when I'm not being authentic to myself. It's sort of uh, it's a real physical discomfort, and um, so I actively, actively, probably to the detriment of my career. Will will I won't go there. I um, before um, TV and yoga, I worked. I studied fashion for years. I you know I went to St Martin's. I did women's wear. I was really so into that world and it was such a cutthroat inauthentic world um 
And it kind of um, chewed me up and spat me out, really. You know, I kind of spat myself out, actually, because there was a point where I just thought, I cannot, I cannot be with this. It's inauthentic, and it, but it's unethical. It, it was um, excess and bravado of like, look at me, I'm really cool. Um, and and that, that was one of the things that I loved about yoga when I first discovered it, because one of the first things I thought, oh, everyone's so nice and friendly after, you know, fashion and then TV. Um, everyone's just nice and uncomplicated, um, friendly and it's warm. Um, but then as yoga has progressed through these last two decades, it's become something quite different. And there is a lot of that um, bravado um, and and using sex to sell, using one's own um, imagery to, to sell a product. Um, and I, I, I get that, you know, if someone's coming to, for me, for coaching, they will, of course, they will be interested to see me and see what, what, who I am and maybe um, what, what pictures there are and getting a sense of who I am. But I, I, I hope it's not because I look a certain way. I, it, it's, it sort of, it really goes against the grain, but, but, you know, it's, it's rife in the, uh, and I suppose in some ways we are attracted to, you know, there's faces that, that kind of draw us close and, and, move us away there's a lot in the face you know sort of I'm thinking like sort of nervous system that social nervous system all around the front of the base and there's lots going on but that what I see in yoga is something quite different it's it's sort of uh, um, uh, dare I say sort of very glamorized of like selling a, an idea of like look at me this is this is pretty good would you like a bit yeah yeah, I really hear that. I really, really hear that. And it really just, yeah. I remember, I think it was last year or maybe a couple of years ago now. I remember I haven't been on Instagram for quite a while. And then I went on Instagram and it's like, suddenly I started seeing all these uh, videos and postures, uh, you know, photos of people doing yoga that was quite sexualized. And I was just like, what the hell is going on? And I remember posting on, on Facebook, I was like, is it just me or is it like, you know, it's kind of changed since I've been, you know, on Instagram and somebody said, oh, it depends who you follow. And I was like, well, I haven't followed anybody for a very long time. It's still showing what it was, but it just felt so different. And it just reminds me of all the kind of marketing. I think this is why. You know, I talk quite a bit about this. It's like we can be such conscientious practitioners when we work with others. We can be even very conscientious and, uh, you know, somatically and embodiment focused when it comes down to our self-care. And somehow when it comes to marketing and promotion, all of that gets scrapped and we try to squeeze ourselves into this completely different set of values. and. You know, I found it fascinating when I was um, researching stuff about marketing, how it came about, and that it was Sigmund Freud's nephew who just, you know, started devising this psychology of marketing. And, you know, psychologists say, well, you know, people are easy to manipulate. Let's manipulate them and let's move them away from this needs 
based, like this is what you need into desires. This is what you want. Doesn't matter that you have what you need, but you, you know, if you want this, have some of this and it will be so much better. And the whole marketing and most of the marketing is really based around that. Um, and you know, it goes around, I mean, I'm guilty of it as well. The amount of training courses I attended in the last 25 years, you know, it's this kind of wanting more and needing more rather than actually pausing and thinking, well, how am I going to implement it? And, and mm -hmm. maybe I need to pause to actually integrate it all and this constant and part of it is amazing. I love learning and I don't yeah. think I will ever stop because it's, 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 for me, it's very exciting and it, it just lands so well and, and really, you know, I, I love learning, but I think so often it's this, this, this connection from, you know, let's do it a bit slower. Let's pace it a little bit more. Let's have time for integration rather than jumping to a new thing. Let's. Let's see how, you know, we can do marketing in a way that is aligned with our values in other areas of our life, in the work that we do, in our personal life, in our self-care, you know, because I, I really believe you can, you can do that. Maybe you won't grow so fast. Mm -hmm. Maybe you won't have uh, lots of followers. And, you know, my question here is, do you need those followers, really? I mean, what are they? Why, why are they following you? Unless you want to be a guru, uh, you know, what's the point? But really finding that way and actually talking a little bit more about this. I, I guess maybe because as we are recording this podcast, we are coming to the end of the year and it's everywhere, you know, with this energy of plan for the next year. Make it better, make it your best year ever, make it this big thing. And, you know, straight away, my nervous system is ramping up into this sympathetic response. I'm like, yeah, let's, yeah. <laughs> oh, I totally get that. Oh, it's, it's very interesting. And really, you know, what, everything that we've been talking about, back to embodiment. Like, if we are, if our intention is, to really become more present, like for myself, with myself, me with you, me with the loved ones, me with people that I work with and other practitioners and, you know, contributing to something larger within the world, within the communities and the world, then it has to start really, you know, with me. Yeah, Always. When you were saying that, I was thinking, um, like the more work I do with the nervous system, it's like being authentic, being real to myself, being staying with that embodied self. That if I, if I notice that I'm going into a nervous system dysregulation, I know it's not the right thing. So if I see um, a, a course spring up on my screen saying, do this great coaching, get those amount of clients. And I can feel a <gasps> forward and a, I, maybe I need to do that scrabbling. That's, you know, that's a really good, um, indicator that I've gone a little bit into sympathetic and, um, 
that's that's not good. That's not that's that's not aligned. So it, it, it's it's doing the finding things that are really um, land well in the body, um, and don't take us, don't put us out of that. And it, you know that that hunger for having to do this, or that society says you've got to be successful. You've got to, you know, it's like this, this, you know, the, 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 there's a phrase like the rushing woman syndrome and that, oh, I'm so busy. I'm, I'm so busy. Like I might see a friend in the street and, uh, um, and she'll go, I'm so busy. I've got this to do and I've got that to do. And, um, I always think about this and I think there's no real, what is the opposite of like, I'm so busy. What would you say? I'm so I'm so relaxed. I'm not, I'm so not not busy. I I can't even think of a phrase because it's not used. It's not it's not valued. Of like, I've got hardly anything on. You know, it it, 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 it would be something completely different. Yeah, I, um, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, you know, it's it's all of those little pieces that are still feeding into that linear production, keep it going, you know, work it for the man, don't question it, shut up and get going. Um, that, um, you know, then I, I think, I, hang on a minute. No. Yeah, yeah I love that. I, and I, I have a feeling we could stay here for another few hours <laughs> chatting about all of this. There is so much here to unpick, but I wanted to say thank you so much, Jane. I really enjoyed chatting with you today. Um, and I wanted to ask if if people wanted to follow up and see what you're doing and, uh, you know, maybe some other events that you are doing or some uh, other offerings and connect with you. How can they find you? Yeah, so I am, um, my website's janedancy.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. Um, Jane Dancy Cinematic Coach and I'm on Facebook uh, and uh, yeah so they can contact me through all of those ways okay lovely thank you so much Jane for taking time chatting with me today thank for you. joining me thank you thank you for joining me for today's podcast episode I really hope you enjoyed it. If you are interested in our training certifications at Golden Mandala Yoga Soma Institute, I invite you to visit our website, www.anettai.co.uk, where you can find all the information about our training certifications, uh, trauma-informed somatic teacher and coach for women and trauma-informed yoga teacher, as well as Thriving Business Mandala coaching program. I look forward to connecting with you more.